Man, that's a really hard prayer to pray. Ugh. We really do that stuff, though, huh? Well, welcome to Grace Anyway. At least we keep it real here. Well, there's an episode of the NBC sitcom The Office where one of the characters, Dwight Schrute, decides that he is going to shun Andy, one of his co-workers. And in a talking head segment, a little side interview, Dwight says this, yes, I have decided to shun Andy Bernard for the next three years, which I'm looking forward to. It's an Amish technique. It's like slapping someone with silence. I was shunned from the age of four until my sixth birthday for not saving the excess oil from a can of tuna. Now, if you know the show, when you know a few things about Dwight Schrute, then all of that makes perfect sense. Well, as the episode continues, Dwight will temporarily lift the shun against Andy when he needs to speak with him. And so Dwight will say, unshun, and then he'll say something to Andy Bernard, and then he says, reshun. And on and on it goes throughout the episode. Unshun, he says something, reshun. Unshun, he says something, reshun. Later on in the episode, Andy Bernard says, okay, when's the shunning thing going to end. And Dwight says, unshun, never reshun. The good news is that Jesus never ever does that with us. We sin and go back time and time again to that sin that we promised Jesus we would never do again and we would never go back to, and we do, And he doesn't shun us. There's no unshun, reshun with Jesus. But there is with us, right? We shun Jesus and we shun others. We stiff arm God and we stiff arm others. And so here's the big idea waiting for us shunners in our passage today, God doesn't stiff arm you, so don't stiff arm others. God doesn't stiff arm us, but we do. We stiff arm God and we do our fair share of stiff arming others, especially people that we don't like, right? We do our fair share of Shunning, we have all probably, uh, we're all probably pretty decent at slapping people in the face with silence. But Jesus, well, he's nothing like us at all, is he? Thank God. I want to drive that point home to us this morning. Jesus is nothing like us at all. Jesus doesn't stiff arm you, and he could, and he would be justified in doing so. All of us have given Jesus so many reasons to stiff arm us and to slap us with silence. But the hope of the gospel is that God doesn't do that with us. He really does love the unlovable. He really does welcome home stinky younger brothers who have been rolling around in the pig pen. And he even welcomes home the stinky older brothers who have been staring at themselves in the mirror and love what they see, 
not knowing that they reek of self-righteousness. Jesus loves all kinds of sinners. Jesus welcomes all kinds of sinners. As Ralph Davis said, Jesus also welcomes religious sinners. Some smell of pigs and some smell of church pews. So it doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. If you're like the younger brother in Luke 15 and you smell like pigs, well, come on home. Jesus will receive you with open arms. And if you, like the self-righteous older brother in Luke 15, if you smell like church pews, maybe you smell like an old church hymnal. Because they kind of have that smell, don't they? Maybe you smell like an old church hymnal. Come on home. Jesus will receive you with welcome arms. We saw that at the beginning of 2 Corinthians chapter 6, the welcoming heart of God. The door of the castle of grace is the welcoming heart of God. And that means that Jesus will never stiff arm you. And when you let that truth seep down into all the little nooks and crannies of your heart, the Holy Spirit will then move you to not stiff arm other people. But it really does take the Holy Spirit. You cannot do this on your own at all. I don't care what your personality is. You can't do this on your own. There are people in your life who really bother you and you do not have the power to love them, especially if they really, really, really bother you. You know those people. You just thought of one of them right now. Sorry to ruin church for you. If I just ruin church for you by making you think of someone that you can't stand, then let me make it up to you, okay? Let me remind you that you need the Holy Spirit to inject the gospel into your veins so that you have power to love all of those people that really bother you, the ones that you're thinking about right now. Does that ever happen to you when you're singing? You're just loving on Jesus and then boom, you think of that person and you're like, oh, Jesus. Does that ever happen to you? Am I the only one? Spirit is here to help us. So turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to see today that the Corinthians were actually stiff-arming the Apostle Paul, the guy who planted this church, the guy who loves these people. And what we're going to see is that Paul just kept on loving them and just kept on loving them. Why? Because that's what love does Love is stubborn. Love is persistent. Love just keeps on loving even when it's hard. Even when you get betrayed. Even when close friends stab you in the back. Even when people gossip about you and spread lies about you and spread rumors about you. Even when people slander you. And all of that that I just described actually happened to the Apostle Paul by these people, the Corinthians. And he just kept on loving them. 
the people who were doing those things to him. It's really remarkable. Because if you're like me, you stink at loving people this way. Especially people who do those things to you. So 2 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 11. Hear the word of the Lord. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. So Paul and company, his friends that he does ministry with, they are telling the Corinthians two things here. Number one, our mouths are wide open to you. And number two, our hearts are wide open to you. So let's look at each one of those. The phrase here, we have spoken freely to you. It's how the ESV translates this phrase. In fact, in Greek, literally, it is our mouth has been opened wide to you. What Paul means is that is in all of his preaching, in all of his teaching, in all of his emails, in all of his text messages, he has been honest. He's been truthful. No manipulation whatsoever. His mouth has been wide open the whole time. In fact, Paul uses a perfect tense in the Greek here, which means that his mouth stands open. It is in a state of being permanently wide open. He's constantly in a state of transparencies with transparency with the Corinthians in his communication with them. And isn't this what we all need more of in our relationships? Honesty and transparency. Think about how all of our relationships would thrive with more honesty. Think of how we would flourish in our relationships. That's what I want for grace. That's what I want for this church family. More honesty, more transparency, more confession of sin, more repentance. I mean, just imagine, dream with me for just a second, okay? What would our church family look like with more honesty and more confession? What would it be like for our children to grow up in a church family where people are honest and real about their feelings and about everything that they struggle with? What would it be like uh, if part of the way that we stay busy making disciple-making disciples included teaching people, hey, you are free to confess your sins here. You are free to be transparent. You're free to be real. Just be yourself. You have to be anything but you. Now, of course, we all struggle to be real. We know that. But the Bible is very honest about who we are. We're sinners. So if we already know that we're sinners because the Bible tells us that, then we shouldn't be surprised when someone confesses their sin or they confess what they're struggling with or they confess their temptations. You're free to do that here, by the way. We want grace to be a safe place where you can be honest honest about your struggles, honest about your temptations, honest about your sins, 
honest about your fears, honest about your worries, honest about your doubts, and be free to confess them to someone you trust and know. Your mouth, like Paul, can stand wide open about all of your struggles here at Grace. Now, confession of sin takes wisdom, of course, okay? When I say we need to confess our sin, have our mouths stand wide open with one another, be real with one another, I'm not saying that you show up to church here on Sunday morning and say to someone, good morning, brother, it's so good to see you. Well, actually, it's not good to see you. To be honest, I can't stand you. I hate your guts, but since Pastor Benji said we should all be honest and transparent and real, I thought I'd come clean with you today. Sorry, buddy. Enjoy the Lord today. I'm not talking about that. We want to be a church where we actually never have to use this phrase, to be honest. Christians should really never have to use that phrase. We should always be honest and never have to tell someone, well... To be honest with you, we want to be a church where we really can be honest about everything. It takes wisdom, of course, people you know and trust. We want to be a place where we can speak freely about everything, not live in fear of what will they think about me if I tell them that I struggle with this or I'm tempted by that. And I think we are that kind of church. But there's always room for more growth and more transformation, right? A church family can always use more transparency, more honesty, right? We're we're still being conformed to the image of Jesus. We're not home yet. We're still a work in progress. We never arrive at this. So we can always be working on this. Understand this, Grace. Revival begins with honesty. Revival begins with confession of sin. Do you want to see revival come to grace? It starts with us being honest with one another and being honest with God. Revival doesn't come through programs. Revival doesn't come through gimmicks. Revival doesn't come through manipulation. Revival doesn't come through bounce houses and carnivals and street tacos and dropping Easter eggs from a helicopter And having a raffle to win a car. Revival doesn't come that way. True revival. I mean, you can build a church that way. You can. You can pack people in. They may not be born again. They may not be growing as a disciple. But you can fill the pews up. Revival comes through honesty. Being real. God will bless an honest church. God will bless a real church. God doesn't look down from heaven and say, oh my goodness, that's such a great idea. Easter eggs from a helicopter, raffling a car, blessings to those people. I couldn't even thought of that. They're so wise. God looks down and says, if I see an honest church, more spirit over here, please. Revival. Jared Wilson says, if we're not willing to step into the truth of confession, repentance, faithfulness, and the humility, all that entails, no one can be in a real relationship with the real us. The less we are in the light, the less the true us is known. 
Whole relationships carry on in the dark sometimes, especially in churches where everyone is in relationship with everybody's projected version of themselves with facades. We want to be real here at Grace, the real us meeting the real Jesus. We don't want this to be a place where our projected self comes to church each week. I want to know the real you, and I hope you want to know the real me. And when you get to know the real me, I hope you don't run away. That's a beautiful thing in the Lord's eyes, an honest church, a transparent church, a church where our mouths stand wide open. Ray Ortland said, we are a prophetic community by keeping our Bibles open, our hearts open, and our mouths open. If we do this, we'll be a prophetic community, a prophetic voice in our culture, a prophetic voice here on the Central Coast. And the Central Coast needs that desperately, right? You've told you numerous times about this. We are in the top 10 post-Christian places in America. There's a couple spots up in the Northwest, a bunch in the Northeast, and then us here on the Central Coast. 15% of the population has never been to church once. We are number two in the never church list. We need revival. What's going to bring revival? Not a helicopter dropping Easter eggs. Not a raffle to win a brand new car. We need revival here really bad. And what brings revival? Open Bibles, open mouths, and open hearts. It's pretty basic, right? It's pretty simple. God makes revival really easy. Did you know that? God doesn't say, if you go through all, jump through all these hoops, then mm, maybe I'll send revival. God makes it very simple for us. Open your Bibles, keep your mouths open, keep your hearts open, and revival will come. Now, it will cost us. It will cost us our pride, and it will cost us our stubbornness. But if we're willing to let go of our pride and we're willing to let go of our stubbornness, God just might bless our socks off in ways that we cannot even imagine. Let me take a quick moment to mention a blurb in our bulletin this week. We want to get the word out about our church family here on the Central Coast, and the elders were were encouraged along these lines. So we're learning. We want to do what we can here, and so this was suggested to us. So let me encourage you to drop a review of Grace on Yelp or on Google Maps. Just get on there and just put in a review. Hey, I love this church. Pastor's kind of weird, but I love this church. Whatever you want to put on there, okay? Uh, In case someone just happens to open their phone and say, I'm looking for a church around me. Maybe if you've never been to church, where do you go? Maybe they open it up and they see, oh, here's a great church. So do that if you would. Or get on your favorite flavor of social media, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, whatever it is, and tell your followers what you love about grace. Tell them what you love about your church family. Tell them what God is doing here through our ministries. Tell them how you have been ministered to Tell them that we're a church where you can be real and honest and confess your sins without condemnation. And then don't forget to use the hashtag, I love my church. 
Hashtag, I love my church. And then tell your followers about it. Maybe there's someone that follow you. What's one of your friends on Facebook? They live in the Central Coast, and they've never been to church. Let's get the word out, because we live in a really dark place, and God has put us here. And if we're creating and cultivating this church culture where people feel free, and if the Lord blesses us so that we see a wave of revival, what kind of church are people coming into? That makes a difference, right? Hey, a church can experience revival, but what's the church culture there like that those people come into? We want to be a church that is real. That's what this world needs. That's what the Central Coast needs. A real church whose mouth stands open with one another. A real church whose mouth stands open and confesses sin to one another. A real church that is humble and is not trying to be impressive with helicopters and Easter egg drops and car raffles. And I don't know if any church on the Central Coast has ever done that. So I'm not throwing anyone under the bus, okay? But I've seen it. And I don't think it's that impressive. Understand this. You can't be honest and transparent about your struggles and your sin and your temptations and still be impressive. You can't show your true colors and come out on top. You can't reveal what's really lurking deep down in your heart and have people think, oh, man, he's so impressive. The super apostles, remember the false teachers that are, have bewitched the Corinthian church? The super apostles were trying to be impressive, always bragging. They were peddling a triumphant form of Christianity where you never struggled, where you could earn God's love by keeping the Mosaic law. They were self-absorbed, narcissists. They had all their ducks in a row, but the Apostle Paul comes along, and he's raw, and he's real, and they hadn't seen anything like him before. Here comes Paul, real, raw, honest, confessing his sin, and these super apostles did not know how to handle that kind of honesty. They didn't know what to do with Paul. They didn't have a category for a pastor who confesses his struggles and sin and his desperate need of the Holy Spirit. But that's really what's impressive, right? Humility is impressive. Confession is impressive. Being the chief repenter in all of your relationships is impressive. And when you share your struggles and you confess your sins and your temptations with other people, you know what happens? You actually help them learn how to open up and confess and repent. You free other people to be honest. And then you create a church culture that is ready for revival. And yes, when you expose what's deep down in your heart, it's going to be embarrassing, okay? You have to know that about confession. It's embarrassing. It'll be humiliating. But you know what? It brings freedom, gospel freedom. You begin walking in the light, and there's no better place to be than to be walking in the light of the gospel with your mouth wide open. And when your mouth stands wide open, you're free, free from the fear of man, free from what other people think of you. Oh my gosh, what do they think of me? Free from trying to impress other people. Free to just love Jesus and love your neighbor, love other people. 
I mean, who knew? Who knew that honesty could be so freeing? Who knew that being transparent could help you relax? Who knew that being real with others could bring you the freedom to actually laugh at yourself? That's a sign of health in a church. That's a sign of revival in a church when we don't take ourselves too seriously and we can actually laugh at ourselves. Jack Miller said, people who cannot laugh at themselves don't have much theological discernment. A good sense of humor helps you to have a good theology. If you can't laugh at yourself, you probably have very bad theology. May the Spirit help us not to take ourselves too seriously. Seriously. Listen, God knows all the embarrassing things in our hearts that need confessing, and He still welcomes us. He doesn't shun us. There's no shun, unshun, reshun. He doesn't slap us with silence. We're talking about God's immutability, that he does not change who he is in any way based on what we do. He is immutable. He does not change. We're talking here about God's impassibility. God does not change uh, his emotions. He doesn't experience a change in his emotions because of anything that we do. He doesn't change his emotions in any way. That means he won't shun, unshun, or reshun us. That means that God doesn't stiff arm you. So don't stiff arm others. If God welcomes us and he knows all the embarrassing things about us, then we shouldn't shun other people. And remarkably, after the way they were treating him, Paul didn't shun the Corinthians. Look at verse 11 again. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You were not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children, Widen your hearts also. So Paul says in verse 11, our heart is wide open. Our mouth is wide open. Our heart is wide open. He still loved this church, even though they were pushing him away. Some people in the congregation had stabbed him in the back and betrayed him, were spreading lies and rumors about him, and Paul still loved them. Wow, he's not like us at all, is he? Paul and his ministry friends widened their hearts for this fickle church, which was slapping them with silence. It was remarkable how he's able to do it. Let me give you a hint. It was the Holy Spirit. Paul couldn't do this within himself. It was the Spirit working in his heart and in his friends' hearts to love this church. And so Paul points out, it's actually the Corinthians who are restricted in their affections, not him. The word affections here, the Greek word is splachnois. So if you're looking for a name for like a new fish or something, splachnois. It's used of the bowels or the gut. That's really where we feel our love and affection for someone, right? 
in their gut, in their bowels, the Corinthians have lost that love and feeling for Paul. And so in verses 11 through 13, Paul's singing these words to this church that he planted, this church that he loved so much. He said, hey, Corinthians, you never close your eyes anymore when I kiss your lips. And there's no tenderness like before in your fingertips. You're trying hard not to show it. But baby, baby, I know it. You've lost that love and feeling. Whoa, that love and feeling. You've lost that love and feeling. Corinthians, now it's gone, gone, gone. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Now there's no welcome look in your eyes when I reach for you. And girl, you're starting to criticize little things I do. It makes me just feel like crying because, baby, something beautiful's dying. You've lost that love and feeling. Whoa, that love and feeling. The Corinthians are the ones who are withholding their affections, withholding their love, withholding how they feel about Paul. They are the ones who have slapped him with silence. They are the ones who have lost that love and feeling. But why? Answer, because they are being romanced by the super apostles. They listen to the gossip, the slander, and the lies of the super apostles, and now many in the church had changed how they felt about Paul. And that can happen in a church, can it? Think about how easy it is to hear something about someone and have no evidence, no firsthand experience, completely out of the loop, but you hear something, and then you make a judgment call about someone. You can hear what people say about someone else and take that as fact and then turn around and close off your heart to that person and slap them with silence and shun them. And what you heard about that person may not even be true. We saw this with Paul in last week's passage in verse 8. He said, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as imposters and yet are true. Paul has experienced this firsthand. The Corinthians have lost that love and feeling for Paul because they've been listening to the lies and gossip of the super apostles. They have restricted, held back their affections for Paul. One commentator says this, restrictions exhibit a lack of love and an excess of suspicion. Isn't that good? Restrictions exhibit a lack of love and an excess of suspicions. Listen, when we restrict our affections and love for one another, and we all do this, right? When we restrict our affections and love for other people, it shows a lack of love, and that will lead us to be suspicious of them. We'll start making assumptions that may not be true. Listen, it's dangerous to be restricted in your affections because what will happen is you'll start feeding the twin monsters of suspicion and assumption. That's like you'll put them in a cage and the twin monsters of suspicion and assumption are like, feed me. And when you withhold your affections, you're like, I've got to feed suspicion. It's hungry. I've got to feed assumption. It's hungry. 
Don't do that. Because if you feed the monsters of suspicion and assumption, they will grow and grow and grow and eventually break out of the cage and they will consume you, devour you. If you start down that path and you begin to be suspicious of someone or you begin to assume that you know what's going on in their heart, in their motives, then it will sour your relationships. That's exactly what happened at Corinth. The Corinthians were having conversations with the super apostles and they began assuming what Paul's motives were. They thought, we know exactly what's happening in Paul's heart. He has closed his heart off to us, therefore we're going to close off our heart to him. Listen, a heart that is full of the love of Christ will expand and widen, but a heart full of suspicions and assumptions will close and shrink, and it will become a breeding ground for assuming people's motives, keeping them at a distance, giving them the cold shoulder, avoiding them, and then ultimately shunning them and slapping them in the face with silence. And then things, the relationship will turn sour, like spoiled milk. And so in verse 13, Paul asks the Corinthians, widen your hearts also. The Spirit can fix our relationship. Widen your heart. Paul wants them to widen their hearts for him as he has for them. Do this in return, he's saying. They don't feel for Paul the way that Christians should feel for the one who brought the gospel to them and planted this church. He was the founding pastor, and they're turning their backs on him. And so they are his children here, he says. This is intimate language. You're my kids. I care for you like a parent for a child, a dad with his kids. You guys are my kids. I love you, he's saying. And after all they've gone through, they should know this about Paul. All the drama All the letters, how he labored in planting this church, the Corinthians should know that Paul really cares about him, that he loves them, that he is their spiritual father, and they are his kids. Listen, this is discipleship 101, emphasis on 101, okay? This is humbling for us. I'm about to give you discipleship 101, okay? 101, like the very beginning, first class, okay? Get this. When you have problems externally, you need to look internally. That's discipleship 101. (laughs) This isn't advanced discipleship, okay? Discipleship 101, this is hard for all of us. When you have problems externally, you need to look internally. When you have an issue with someone, you need to look at your own heart. When you have a problem With someone externally, you need to look inside. Don't try to guess what's happening in their heart. Look into your own heart. Deal with your own sin. Own up to what you're feeling inside your heart that may be sin. Ugh, man. This is not just a hard prayer of confession to pray earlier. This is a hard sermon to preach. But you know what? That will usher in revival. Listen. If we want to see revival come, and we want to create a gospel culture here of honesty and transparency, then we have to learn that misperceptions and assumptions and suspicions really can sour human hearts and human relationships and therefore sour a church. 
we don't want to be a sour church. We don't want to be a spoiled milk church that people walk in and are like, man, ooh, ain't going back there. But we'll never be able to widen our hearts. This is key here, okay? Because we all fail at Discipleship 101, right? So this is key. We'll never be able to widen our hearts if we don't realize how God has widened his heart for us. We won't yearn for others have affections that are flowing for others unless we understand just how much God's heart yearns for us. People who shut other people off. God says, my heart stands wide open to people who are shutting their hearts to other people. That's amazing. Dane Ortland says this, the yearning heart of God delivers and re-delivers sinners who find themselves drowning in the sewage of their life, in need of a rescue that they cannot even begin on their own, let alone complete. His saving of us is not cool and calculating. It is a matter of yearning. Not yearning for the Facebook you, the you that you project to everyone around you, not the you that you wish you were, Yearning for the real you, the you underneath everything you present to others. On the cross, we see what God did to satisfy his yearning for us. He went that far. He went all the way. The blushing effusiveness of heaven's bowels funneled down into the crucifixion of Christ. Repent of your small thoughts of God's heart. Repent And let him love you. And I would add to that, repent and go love others. Love your neighbor, even the ones that really bother you. And remember, God doesn't stiff arm you, so don't stiff arm others. If we're ever going to do this, we need help. Understatement of the year, right? We need help because we fail at Discipleship 101. If we're ever going to sustain a church culture where confession is normal, we need outside help. If we're ever going to be a church where we are free to laugh at ourselves, my goodness, we need the Holy Spirit, don't we? And that means that we need to pray, as I mentioned last week, help us, Holy Spirit. Aren't you glad that he does help? I am. I'm so glad that he helps me. What relationship of yours needs some work today where you can go show the love of Christ to the unlovable? What do you need to confess today? Where do you need to be honest? Where do you need to laugh at yourself? Ask the Spirit to help you. Let's close with something that Steve Brown said. Heaven knows we have enough sour Christians Genuine Christians ought to laugh a lot. One of the sure signs of God's presence in the midst of his people is the laughter of his people. If there is no laughter, Jesus has gone somewhere else. If there is no joy and freedom, it is not a church. It is simply a crowd of melancholy people basking in a religious neurosis. If there is no celebration, there is no real worship. So let's pray and let's confess this morning to Jesus what a mess we are and let's let him love us 
And let's remember that he can't remember our sins. And let's embrace his welcoming heart. And then we'll stand and sing and celebrate his love for us. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, we freely admit this morning we don't love like you do. We don't even love like Paul does. And he was a sinner. And therefore, we need the Holy Spirit. Jesus, we ask you to forgive us for the ways that we have withheld our affections, withheld our love. Forgive us not being real and transparent. Forgive us for projecting a a view of ourself to others, but not just being real. Forgive us, Lord. Thank you for loving us, for going to the cross for people like us. We are so overwhelmed. It is amazing. You lived, you died, you rose again, you ascended to heaven, and you're coming again. Such incredible news, Jesus. May that good news, the gospel, free us this morning to repent, to confess, to love, even to laugh at ourselves for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.